You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you, thank you. When um, Casey was talking about how uh, it helped him to see on our Instagram what we're going to be speaking about, um, I was, was laughing because I changed my mind about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but it, uh, it should still ring true. And I haven't done this in a long time, but um, I'm usually, believe it or not, well prepared. And there are reasons I try to be well prepared. The biggest um, speaking blunders I've ever made in my life is when I went off the reservation when I quit following the things I was going to talk about. So that could happen today, so hopefully it won't. But um, my original message was the captured heart, and it had to do with the relationship between Jesus and Simon Peter. And um, But... uh, we, I felt we hit a certain note this morning. I had, I had told Andy uh, before worship that I felt like there was a certain groove we were going to hit, and I felt I don't I don't know if you had f- felt what I felt there, Andy, but I felt like it was day and night, night and day, let incense arise, and the thought struck me. And I, you're going to have to try to piece some of this together, but there's good in what I'm saying here. It'll be beneficial. But there's something about worship that we don't, there's a lot about worship we don't understand. But one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is when um, the times uh, Mary anointed Jesus' head and washed his feet. And the thing about when Mary anointed Jesus' head, when she poured out, when her so-called worship incense um, arose, what she did to him affected everyone else in the house. Everyone else smelled the fragrance of the oil, the spikenard that she had poured um, on Jesus' head. And the thing that struck me about that is everything we give to Jesus, everything we do towards the Lord turns and comes back somehow to us or those around us. And so I've been thinking about that this morning, and I've got... um, uh, something about Mary's devotion and our response to him and um, how it is that we can actually touch the Lord's heart. God always loves us, but he can be uh, disturbed about us sometimes. How many, how many of you can put those two things in the same idea? Because it's just absolutely true. Uh, I love my kids, but there are a couple times I thought... Um, maybe I should uh, do something here. But um, you know what I'm saying. So I want to read from several passages of verses. This is going to be sort of a devotional 
kind of message, but what I want is for there to be an impartation of something that's on the Lord's heart, something that's good for him and something that that's really uh, good for us. And we may want to do that song again at the end, Andy, if you guys um, are, are good for it. So John 11, verses 1 and 2 reads, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary. Let's say that together. It was that Mary, because there are five or six Marys in the New Testament close to Jesus. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And then we find in John twelve three. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with hair. And here's, here's the thing I want us to think a little bit about. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And this is a very vivid picture of the presence of God invading space, space-time. That's what that picture is of. And um, one idea is that your devotion can release something unexpected that could touch other lives. Now, that's what happened. Then I want to read out of Matthew 26, begin at verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Think about that picture. She pours very costly fragrant oil, uninvited, unannounced, on Jesus' head. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, I'm going to say something right now most of you I don't even think you'll agree with or believe me. Almost any time I have been somewhere where the Lord does something remarkable, it made me or somebody else mad. Now, I'm just going to throw that out there because I think that's important to understand. God can do remarkable sensory things. The presence of the Lord, we had a meeting several months back where the power of God came in. It was so strong, people did not know what to do. Some shrieked, some screamed, some ducked. Some probably never came back. I don't know. But some said, I have, that's, that's the most significant thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And so we don't understand when the intensity of the presence of God comes. We might have bad reactions, but we'll eventually realize this is remarkable. This is exactly what these apostles did um, when this woman poured her life savings, when she showed that kind of devotion. They got upset. Why this waste? One of the things my... Um, greater family felt like about me was that I had wasted my life being in a ministry. 
they were doctors, lawyers. I mean, federal court. You know the lady they're interviewing right now for the bench. My aunt was on that same bench. If she hadn't died of cancer, she may have been the next female Supreme Court justice. That's my family. So, Robin, what are you going to do? You going, you going to law school with the other seven people in your family? No. Oh, what are you going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow the Lord. Well, you going to go to seminary? I said no. Do you realize you're in a church pastored by two guys that never went to seminary? Sort of makes sense now when you look around, doesn't it? But um, and I'm not putting seminaries down. Peter Hartwig, a great guy here, brilliant, has a lot to offer, and a lot of it's based on his his experiences. Don't. I don't call uh, seminary cemeteries. I'm, you know, people do that and they think it's funny, but really, it's, to, to me, it's just sort of repugnant. Why, why be ugly when you can be nice? And, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, "Why this waste? For this oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor." But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? Come on, Jesus, go to bat with this lady. Why do you trouble the woman? Jump these apostles. Lord, what do they know? Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring the fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Pretty poignant comment here that I'm sure they didn't understand. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also will also be told as a memorial to her. I'm read that again. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel, say this and emphasize this with me. This gospel is preached in the whole world. Which gospel would that be? The one dearest Jesus' heart. What this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now I want to establish just in a simple way from the scripture that we can affect the Lord by what we do. Jesus is affected by what we do. Affected means the rousing of the emotions. How many of you know you can stir Jesus up in a good way? This is really true. It's remarkable. And it's worth seriously considering. He can be blessed by us or hurt by us. We don't think in these terms. Well, God's big. He can take it. Well, of course he can take it. But do you love him? Yeah, a lot of us can take a lot. But it doesn't mean everybody is caring for one another the way we should. But this is really worth thinking about. He can be blessed. He can be hurt. Now, let me show you the negative effect of our actions. It's in Ezekiel 6, 9. We discover that our God's heart has been broken. We have a broken-hearted God. His people's adulterous ways crushed him in a very profound way. See, we don't um, understand 
the effects of sexual immorality, both in our lives, our relationships, and how it affects our relationship with God. Don't fool yourself. It matters. It matters. And so in Ezekiel 6, 9, we find out that the adulterous ways of the people of God had broken God's heart. And here's the verse. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they're carried captive, God speaking, because I was crushed or I was brokenhearted by their adulterous heart which has departed from me and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil which they committed in all their abominations. Now, aren't we glad that's in the Old Testament? But the Hebrew word crushed, brokenhearted, God said, I was crushed by their actions, is found in several familiar passages. Here's a really good one, Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the crushed. The brokenhearted. God knows how to heal brokenhearted people because he's been brokenhearted himself. Come on. We have a brokenhearted God who in Christ Jesus has developed way more satisfactory cure for brokenheartedness. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who were bound. And then Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near those, think about this, the Lord is near those that have a broken heart and saves such that have a contrite spirit. So the word brokenhearted in Isaiah 61 and in Psalm 34, and the word crushed in Ezekiel 6 are all the same word. The Lord could both understand and heal the brokenhearted because he himself has also been crushed. He could be near those who have broken hearts because he is, his heart had been broken at the hands of his people. Well, then there's the positive side. How about you ready for some positivity now, everybody? One picture we have comes from the Song of Solomon. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now in that book, this is the shepherd and the Shulamite. There are three different major ways to understand the Song of Solomon. But here's one thing you can be assured of. When he says, you have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, he's talking about you. He is saying to you, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. That's that's wonderful. So the Lord humbles himself. 
He makes himself vulnerable to us. And he says to us, basically, you affect how I feel. Everybody with me so far? You can affect how I feel. Um, let's look at Jesus um, just, just before his crucifixion. I'll tell you, um, we, we need to sympathize with Jesus. You may ask what? Well, have you ever, all I know, I, I'm, I know I'm a little bit different in some ways, the way I think, the way I see things. And I've had different things happen to me over the years that I haven't heard maybe have happened to other people. But there was a period of time where I would wake up in the middle of the night around 4, 3.30 or 4. And I would start praying. And here was what my prayer was. It just kept coming back to me. I would say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for the way they treated you and the way we treated you when you came. Have you ever thought about that? He came unto his own, it says in John, and his own received him not. And his own, he, it meant not just the Hebrew people. It meant the, uni- the world. He came to what he had created and sp- the people he had created and a specific people group. See, we admire the Jews because it was through the Jews that the truest, clearest revelation of God's come. He comes to those people with the Old Testament, with the law, with the prophets, with the history, and they don't recognize him. How would that make you feel? And then, you know, the way he was treated, his mother was called a whore because she had a baby out of wedlock, so-called, when in actual fact, it was the only truly holy child, in a sense, ever been born, was Jesus. That's just, in a sense. They beat him. They spit on him. They cursed him. They lied about him. All he ever did was the right thing and good things and help people. That's all he really did. Made a few people mad. But have you ever thought about that? Well, I prayed that way. And as I was praying that way, it was over several weeks, just randomly in the night, the Lord showed me a vision of the skir- of Jesus being scourged. It was like a tech, it wasn't technicolor because it wasn't, it, I don't know what it was, but I saw it. I saw what happened. When they scourged Jesus, I saw him with his wrist bound tied to a post or a ring in the wall or a ring in a brick column, something. Every time they whipped him, he would leave his feet in agony the same way an animal would. It used Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he preached Christ and Christ crucified in a way that he was evidently set before you as crucified. Paul knew Jesus well enough that when he talked about the crucifixion, you saw something that changed you. So I asked the Lord, why... Was that accurate? I don't know what's accurate, you know, in this this sort of 
personal, subjective realm I'm talking about of God speaking and you seeing and thinking and impressions, but let's, let's assume for my benefit, for the benefit of thought this morning, that what I saw was an accurate depiction. Can we assume that this morning? I have an accurate, if it wasn't accurate because I saw it, read the Bible and you can see how accurate what I'm saying truly is. And I thought, why in the world would someone like Jesus show me a picture of himself at his most vulnerable, humiliating, embarrassing moment? Why? I don't think we understand the sufferings of Jesus. He wanted me to know. It affected the way I feel about him. It elicits an emotional response of worship and appreciation. Something happens as we worship together and I feel the presence of the Lord. It takes me back to so many other times I've experienced the goodness of God. No matter what else was going on in my life. You know, I haven't had a horrible life. I haven't had an easy life. I mean, there are people I would trade with. There are people I wouldn't trade with. But it helps me. uh, I don't know. This is just, I'm trying to impart something that words don't, adequately describe. But in his last days, Jesus had lonely, agonizing moments. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayers, you could call them lonely wrestlings with, with um, I think he was wrestling with God, his Father, and I think he was wrestling with principalities and powers. And he We see in Mark 14, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus who was always on top of everything. Jesus who was afraid of nothing. Jesus who had a response for any situation. Jesus who could walk on water. Jesus who could turn water into wine. Jesus who could feed the 5,000. Jesus who could heal the leper. Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, having some kind of a weird encounter with Moses and Elijah and three dumbfounded friends of his. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. That's what Jesus felt. He thought he could die. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he said, stay here and watch with me. And they fell asleep. Okay, he was, Jesus was in the oil press. We can say the Garden of Gethsemane literally means the place of the oil press. That's where Jesus was agonizing moments before his betrayal. He was pressed there in a similar way as olives have been in that very garden for generations before his crucifixion. His three closest friends provided no comfort. Let me tell you something, folks. Friends alone take you so far, and some of them will take you too far, and some of them take you the wrong way. But even your closest friends cannot satisfy the deepest part of you. 
And if you expect them to, or your husband, or your wife, or your job, or snorting a line, or smoking weed, it ain't happening. Come on. That's good preaching right there. His three closest friends could not stay awake with him from a sense of an impending foreboding. They could feel the danger of that moment. He found them sleeping for sorrow. That's a weird comment, but that's what it says in Luke. Though Jesus very much wanted their help, the humanity of Jesus is remarkable. Luke 22 and verse 44 says that he sweat great drops of blood in that place of prayer. And people do that under extreme, it's a medical um, reality. People actually will do that. There's a scientific reason under great, great duress. All right, so there's Jesus. What sustained him during those last agonizing days? And I've got a theory, and I think it's worth thinking about, and it takes us right back to pouring oil, the pouring out of oil on Jesus' head, which is equivalent to us pouring out our worship day and night, letting our incense Arise. The idea of incense, there was an altar of incense in the temple that burned all night. Uh, the priests were charged with not letting it go out all night. And that incense speaks of the prayers of the saints, the adoration and the worship of the saints. What sustained Jesus during those last days? I believe it was Mary's anointing, and I want to explain to you why. In Mark 14, verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask, poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? So I'm reading a parallel gospel to the one I read earlier this morning. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, one year's wages, and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Barclay says, snarled their reproaches at her. I preached this at a church a number of years back, and I got people all stirred up so much that I was out in the lobby after the meeting and this woman walked up and started screaming in my face, praise the Lord, at like a thousand decibels. And I thought, what is the matter with this woman? Well, I stirred her all up to praise the Lord. And she meant business. But the way it affected me was I was snarling reproaches at her. (laughs) So we're all very complicated people. We can preach something and violate it before we get out of the room. But uh, that's just all we have to work with, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, if you're looking at me, you're seeing yourself just in a little bit way, shape, and form. Nevertheless, that's just it. That's why we need to love each other. Because, because everybody's messed up, especially you. <laughs> 
So they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, leave her alone. (laughs) Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Another way, it is a lovely thing she has done to me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. Somebody say that. She's done what she could. That's all you need. You can't do more than you can do. Don't let the enemy push you beyond just what you're supposed to do. She had done all she had it in her power to do. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So what we find here, and I believe where the Lord wants to take us is um, adoration as a congregation, maybe even uninvited adoration or socially awkward worship. Jesus likes it. We don't. He likes it. He jumped his posse over giving this woman a hard time. Now, I'm not trying to rev everybody up and do stupid stuff that makes us Pentecostal loose cannons or something, but my topic this morning really was out of Proverbs, son, give me your heart. We owe Jesus our heart. We do. Um, we're bought with a price. If you understand the gospel, Jesus paid something for us, which is a mystery. But we're bought with a price. But he doesn't want to send us the bill to make us love him. He wants to win us, not force us. That's what he's after. He's after people who see him so clearly they will devote themselves to him. Not, you know, you can't. I had a friend years ago, the Lord was moving in our church and people were really getting touched and they were going up for prayer and God was really doing something special for them. And this guy's kid wouldn't go up. So he made him eat peanut butter for a week. That is not the way to endear your children to Jesus. And his children rebelled. In a serious way. No, gee, we don't make our kids love God. We make them do the right thing. Of course we do. But he wants to win us. He wants you to see what he went through on your behalf. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I mentioned this before. Why this waste? My mom and dad are in heaven, my aunts in heaven, all those people who may have thought I wasted my life know better now. I'm not wasting my life. I'm not doing what they expected or what they... You know, do you want your kids to do well for their sake or so that people think you're a good parent? When I pastored a number of years ago, I told the church two things 
directly. My wife is my wife. If she doesn't want to do anything in this church, she's not going to, and you leave her alone. And my kids are my kids. I'm going to raise them the way I think. I don't care what you think about how I raise them. I'm sorry. These are the ground rules. Love it or don't love it. Because pressure doesn't work. We, we ought to hype you people up to get you to do a bunch more, but we ain't going to do it. If you don't love God enough to come do something for Jesus, that's on you. I'm not going to make you do it because it ends poorly. It ends poorly. You're mad. You didn't get what you wanted. You did it for the wrong reason because you were worried about what somebody thought. You ought to be worried about what God thinks. And I don't mean whether he loves you or not, but what does he think about you? In his heart of hearts, what does he think about you and where you are and choices you've made and places you've gone and things you've said and things you shouldn't have said? What does he think about you? Because he has opinions and he loves us. He picked us when maybe we'd never even yet done the worst thing we we're going to do. He picked us anyway. Uh, when Jesus was aware, that's what it says in Matthew 26. When he was aware of what was going on around him, he got caught up in the moment. How would you like to affect Jesus in this church so much that he gets caught up in the moment? How would you like, you know, I was thinking about this. What if we're not heading to Armageddon in the next 24 hours and something really wonderful could happen in our nation? Wouldn't that be shocking? What if 200 million Russians and 500 Chinese aren't going to the Valley of Megiddo this week? Maybe God could really do something in our world. Maybe it's even up to us to a degree as to what he does. When he told Peter, launch out into the deep and you'll have a great catch, Peter could have said, I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter, go back to your preaching. And there would not have been a great catch of fish and there would not have been an apostle Peter and there would not have been uh, all the things that went on in his life because he said no instead of yes. Now, Armenian, Calvinist, I've got no clue. I'm a a relationshipnist. I hope this is helping. Jesus said this, and this is all we need to hear. She did what she could. She did what she could. She anointed my body for burial, and this is so significant to me wherever this gospel is preached. But here's what I want to end with you. End with, with you. When Jesus was whipped and beaten and scourged, and none of his friends were with him, and he felt forsaken, guess what came out of his clothes? That oil. 
he had been oiled from head to toe. And when he was in his worst moments of beating and rejection, he could still smell what Mary had done for him. She had anointed him for what? It says his burial. Whatever she did carried him from that meal through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the cross, into the tomb. And that's the devotion we can give to the Lord. Good enough? Amen. Okay. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.